If you could ask the Lord for one thing, for anything, what would you ask? Think about it. It may not be long enough to thoroughly process that question. I'm sure whatever came to your mind in those few moments is important to you. It's very close to your heart. I know that my answer would have been different before I studied this passage than my answer is right now in this moment. Now I have a new request, and I'm convinced it's a better request than I would have had before. And I pray that it remains my request for the rest of my life. And I pray that if this was not your request, that you might adopt it as your request as well. This request is not my own. I appropriated it from Scripture, from Psalm chapter 27. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord." To dwell in the house of the Lord all my days, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. This request was made by King David, and that's what he wanted. All of his days, he wanted to see the Lord and to gaze upon his beauty. Now, before we dismiss this as inauthentic or sentimental, spiritual speak, Before all the guys here tune out because I said heart and beauty and gaze. And because Jesus is a man. and Because God reveals himself to us as father. So before you think you cannot or don't want to connect with this, just remember this. That David is perhaps one of the most manly men in history. David was not a girly man. David lived in caves when he had to. David ate from the land when he had to. David was a mighty, mighty warrior, fearless in battle. He's also a man who struggled with being too much of the world. He was a man like men we see today who abused his power and his position in such a way that Bathsheba could have added her name to the hashtag me too list. All that to say that David was very much in the world, as we are, very much connected to it. And he also struggled at times with being too much of the world. But in all of that, he knew the one thing that he needed most in his life, and that was to see the Lord. And that's got to be what we want most in our lives as well. Because nothing is more important Nothing brings more change, more help, more hope than seeing the Lord. And I hope you're going to be convinced of that this morning as we come to this next beatitude. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to ask you to take them and turn in the New Testament to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. And when you found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand so we can hear read together this word of God that we honor and cherish so deeply. 
Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray together. Lord, that's our prayer this morning, very simply, that we would see you. We know you reveal yourself to us in your word. Now we pray that through the power of the Spirit, we would see you more clearly this morning, perhaps more than ever before. That's our desire as we come to your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. just want to consider two questions this morning. The first one is this, what does it mean to see God? And the second is, why should we want to see God? Once again, I'm not going to cover all of this beatitude. Be that as may, maybe we'll pick it up again next week. But the first question is this, what does it mean to see God? Clearly, Jesus says here that it is a blessing. It's a blessing for us to see God. Which we've come to know means that Jesus says that our lives will flourish when we see God. Seeing God. Until we understand what that means, we won't grasp the magnitude of the blessing that Jesus is promising here, but Jesus is being very specific in his promise. The pure heart will see God. Jesus doesn't use here the word Lord. Neither does Jesus put limitations inherent in some of the names of God that we love and cherish so dearly. El Shaddai, God Almighty. God is that, but he's more. God, El Roi, the God who sees. God does see, but he's so much more than that. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. God does provide, but he does so much more than that. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. The Lord does do that, but he does so much more. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. He is our peace, but he's so much more. And so Jesus doesn't put any of those limitations on the name here. Instead, Jesus promises that we will see God. Neither does Jesus promise just a vision. Isaiah had a vision. We read it this morning in our call to worship. Other prophets had visions. Peter, James, and John saw Jesus transformed on that mountain, and what they saw was glorious, but it was not the fullness or the completeness of God. Jesus promises here, blessed with the pure in heart, for they will see God. How can we begin to comprehend the magnitude of what Jesus is promising here? Little wonder that David requests all the days of his life in order to achieve this one thing he wants, and that's to see the Lord. 
The Westminster Confession attempts to distill for us what Scripture teaches about who God is. In the larger catechism, question 7, tells us that God is a spirit in and of himself infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all-sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. That's God. That's who we will see. Catechism question nine. There be three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one true eternal God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. We're going to see what we can even begin to fathom now. What a promise Jesus makes here. Moses came closer than anyone else to seeing God. But even Moses, from the cleft in the rock where God placed him, only saw the back of God as God passed before him and as his glory went by. Again, as we read this morning in Isaiah, the angels who were in the presence of the Lord covered their faces in God's presence. Because God said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. John 1, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Only Jesus, who is God, has ever seen God in all His splendor and majesty and glory. God is completely awesome. And so I wonder what many people really want when they ask, why doesn't God just show himself? Why doesn't he just prove that he really does exist? Show himself, prove everyone wrong who denies him. I think that when we ask that question, it demonstrates that we think too little of God and too much of ourselves. Do we really think Do we really think that we could bear the sight of God? That right now, in this moment, we are equipped to look on God. 1 Timothy 6.16 says that the immortal God dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. God, who is light, is such that we can't approach Him. The hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns, says no angel in the sky can fully bear that sight, but downward bends each burning eye at mysteries so bright, so mysterious, so bright, so beautiful, it It burns the eye. Malachi 3, 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. 
and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. And we say, Lord, show us yourself. God's not the innocuous, long, white, bearded, grandfatherly father time. God is the God of the universe. And as big as the universe is, and we don't even know how big that is, God is bigger still. God is outside of. He is independent of the universe in which you and I are trapped. And we say, Lord, just show yourself, okay? What would happen to us? What would happen to us if if God showed himself right now? Look, we have to have special glasses to view the eclipse. Or we would permanently damage our eyes. In 2015, Americans spent $218 million on sunglasses because we can't look at the sun. And the sun is amazing, but the sun is not the God of inapproachable light. If God were to appear, I have to believe that it would be an end to us. And so 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That's y'all. That's me. We're beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And we say, oh, Lord, show yourself. We'll see God. Thankfully, it's going to be on his timetable and not ours. And thankfully, God has never taunted into acting before he's ready. Before more and more people have had an opportunity to see Jesus, to know who he is, the extent of his love, the extent of his grace, so that they can, by faith, embrace him and find help and hope and salvation. If you're here this morning, and you've not really seen the wonder of who Jesus is. God is patient. That's good news for you. He waits for you to repent. He waits for you to come to him. So know that you can ask God, even in this moment right now, to open the eyes of your heart that you might see him through Jesus. He will wait to be seen. But he will be seen, this glorious God. And the seeing in that moment will be beyond our physical sense of sight. The kind of seeing that Jesus is talking about here, I think, is one of full and complete understanding. I don't know what that will be. I don't know. I don't know if the inapproachable light that surrounds God will will burn all the impurities away so that we can stand before Him and, and so that we can see Him because we've been refined by the fire of His light that that 
burns away the sin that obscures our view of the Lord? I don't know, but I know that we will have understanding. No more visions, no more smoke, no more thunder, no more lightning. These powerful and majestic and dramatic forms through which God has communicated before, we will see God. We'll see Him. The late R.C. Sproul condenses the, the speculations of the great Puritan preacher, Jonathan Edwards, the guy that's credited with beginning the first great awakening here in our country. And he, here's his condensation of Edwards' thoughts. The ultimate vision of God will be one that takes place without the eyes. It will be a direct and immediate apprehension by the human soul of the very essence of God. A completely and dramatically transcendent mode of perception. All of the barriers that prevent our seeing God will be removed. Isn't that good news? And we will be filled in our souls with direct, immediate apprehension of the being of God. 1 John 3 assures us of this. We shall see Him as He is. Say that with me. We shall see Him as He is. That is the promise of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. See, God is going to reciprocate. He knows you and me, everything about us right now. Well, one day, He's going to allow us to know Him fully. Can you imagine? Does that excite you? One day we won't wonder what God is like ever again. Never again will we misunderstand Him. Never again will we doubt Him. Never again will we question Him. Never again will we malign His character, even if it's unintentional, by having wrong thoughts of Him, because we will see Him. We will see the one and only true and living God. If you are not in awe of that privilege and that possibility, then you won't see what Jesus offers here as a blessing to you in this beatitude. Only when we are awestruck by God will we understand the incredible blessing that Jesus is offering. Only when we're awestruck at the thought of seeing God will we be in awe that Jesus has opened the way to God for us. He's given us access to what has been inaccessible. And only when we're awestruck by God, will the audacity fall away that suggests that the way to God is other than the way God has proclaimed it to be. Only when we are in awe of God and His incomprehensible fullness will we say, I want to see. I want to see more and more. One thing I ask of the Lord, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Bless me, Lord, with this ability. So here's a moment of honesty for all of us. How much do you really want 
to see God. And if you don't want to see him, not that much, why not? What better hope, what better help do you think you'll ever find in this world? Think about it. Don't be deceived. You need to see God, and you need to see him through Jesus. Second question. Why should we want to see God? You know, one of the accusations leveled against God by those who don't believe Him, in Him, don't believe He exists, and they don't want anybody else to believe He exists, is they impugn His character. They say that this God in whom we believe is flawed because He is so egocentric. Who, scoffers ask, would demand all that praise. What kind of egomaniacal person would demand to be loved and glorified and worshipped? Who except the most vain would say, look at me. Look at me. Who does he think he is? Well, the easy answer is God, right? And I could end there because God does not need to be defended against his detractors or disbelievers. God knows that he is God, and God knows how good it is to be the God that he he is. But it's good for us to look at his character. And so I will continue. May I continue? You must say yes. Egocentric means limited in outlook or concern to one's own activities or needs. It means to think only of oneself without regard for the feelings or desires of others. And so we know in a moment an answer to give to our detractors, God's detractors. God is not egocentric because he has immense immense regard for others. Psalm 102. For the Lord appears in glory. There he is, glorious God. But he regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Psalm 138.6, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. Far from egocentric, God has great concern for others. And of course, the most famous John 3.16, for God so loved the world. God has regard for you, for you, really, and for me. God knows how to help the people that he has such regard for, that he cares so deeply about. And he knows that that help will come to us through seeing him. You know, if I were a computer quiz, a computer whiz, raise your hand if you think I'm a computer whiz. <laughs> Woo, I don't even play one on TV. But if I were a computer whiz, if I could identify every single component in a computer, do they still have motherboards or is that a thing of the past? I don't, I don't even know that. But, but, but if I could identify all those components and, and I, I knew how a, a computer works so that everything works together to function properly, and you said to me, Craig, my computer is broken. Can you fix it? No one would consider me egocentric to say, why, yes. Look at me. I know exactly how to fix your computer. You would be thankful. Wouldn't you? Seeing 
God, in his fullness, fixes things. And that's why you and I must long to see him, because seeing God in his fullness fixes things. It fixes what's broken. And the more we are fixed, the better able we are to help others right now. There is no hope. There is no hope for our society apart from seeing God. Let me give you an example. This is from the March 1st, 2017 Post and Courier. Reading it straight from there. In another blow to the state's lackluster reputation on schools, South Carolina ranked dead last in the, cat- in the education category in U.S. News and World Report's inaugural ranking of all 50 states. 50th. Woo! Something's broken, right? Something needs to be fixed. We can broaden that beyond the states. This is from Pew Institute, February 2017. Recently released data from international math and science assessments indicate that U.S. students continue to rank around the middle of the pack and behind many other individual uh, advanced industrial nations. Now, I'm going to leave that there. We're not going to debate all that. Let's just assume that we have a problem, the education problem, and that problem needs to be fixed. Well, one sure way the government fixes problems is to throw what at it? Money, resources, fixes everything, right? But money does not address the heart. Money doesn't answer why might teachers not be motivated to teach well. Why might students not be motivated to learn well? Oh, must be the home life. That's the problem. And so we throw more at home life. Let's provide more money to make the home better, and so we do. But but that money doesn't address the heart of the matter. Why is the home life so bad in the first place? Why is there no hope or love or compassion in that home? Resources don't address the heart. Why is the money that's supposed to bring stability and provision for the family often used instead for lottery tickets or alcohol or drugs? Oh, drugs. Yeah, there's another problem. The opioid crisis in America. Let's throw more. Only money doesn't address the heart. Why are people so hopeless Why are they so helpless that they use drugs or alcohol for relief or escape or purchase a lottery ticket that they hope they'll win and and bring a little hope and help to their lives? Why? I'm making a bold statement, but I believe it's absolutely true. The government will never fix these problems. The government does great things for us. God ordains government for the blessing of His people. The government provides great services, protects us, brings order. But if our culture continues to be deluded, that the government is the best hope and the best help for problems that our society faces, real help and real hope and real change will not come. And I've only mentioned education problems. 
and family problems and gambling problems and substance abuse problems. I haven't mentioned violence or discrimination or pornography or sexual immorality or sexual abuse that leads to movements like hashtag me too or how these realities rip the fabric of our society. These are heart issues. And I'm not suggesting that government should not address these issues. I'm just suggesting that we should admit our weakness. The government is not the best help for our society. It cannot legislate matters of the heart. And until the heart is set right, all these issues will persist. Until the heart is set right, all these issues will persist. So that's where the church comes in. The good news of the gospel. Our hearts are designed for God. And seeing God is the greatest blessing that any human can experience. And after seeing God, they will be changed. And that's why Jesus says, blessed are those who see God. And those who are changed, those who are helped by seeing God, those who have hope because they've seen God, those are the ones who give real help and real hope to others in this world right now. So let's see God together. When we see Him, we'll see goodness, and we can share that goodness with others. When we see Him, we'll see grace, and we can share that grace with others. When we see Him, we'll see mercy, and we can share that mercy with others. When we see Him, we'll we'll see love, and we can share that love with others. God knows how seeing even a glimpse of these things right now will really change us, renew us, restore us, Motivate us. So listen, that's why worship is no place for moralizing. That's why the pulpit is no place for moralizing. In this time, in this place, we must see the Lord high and lifted up, shining in the light of His glory, the train of His robe, Filling the temple of the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. That's why Isaiah, God says in Isaiah chapter 42, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. We must see the Lord. God cannot allow people he cares about to run after other things or other people, to place our hope in them. When God knows that real help cannot be found in those places, those idols, what kind of God would he be if he were a God that is as tolerant as we believe he should be. If he said, go ahead, drink from that stream. Go ahead, drink from that stream. Drink from that stream. Go ahead, drink from that stream. God says, I will not share my glory with others. Why would God point people in that direction when he knows the waters of those streams to be polluted or poisoned? Because God is good and gracious and compassionate and merciful. He cannot share 
his glory with another. He will not hold out hope to us in things in which there is no hope. If that makes him intolerant, praise be to God that he is. We must see God. We cannot get around the fact that our souls were made by God, for God. The glory of the gospel is that we can see God through Jesus. And so I'm just saying that futile is the attempt to address problems apart from seeing God, from having a vision of his glory and goodness and greatness and grace. Why do you think David, why do you think David, who often messed up, prayed, one thing I ask of the Lord, one thing I seek, that I may gaze on the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life. Let me see the glory of the Lord and the beauty of his dwelling. David knew that that one thing, seeing God, would lead to the resolution of so many others. Just let me see the Lord. When I see Him, I have hope. When I see Him, I have help. Let me see the Lord. Know now that you can see God incompletely, but enough through Jesus. For God who said, light, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Look to the Lord. Set your eyes on Him. Find real hope and real help and real strength and real courage and true and lasting change. Pray, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I, I want to see you. Jesus says, blessed are those who see God. Because nothing is more important, nothing brings more change, more help, more hope than seeing the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, simply thank you that you're a God who wants to be seen. Thank you, Lord, that you have not hidden yourself from us. Where would we be if you had? Lost, hopeless, helpless, staggering around in darkness, knowing nothing. So thank you that you're a God who has revealed yourself to us, a God who wants to be seen. Father, give us a comprehension of how awesome you are so that we don't dismiss this blessing lightly. Give us a vision of who you are so that we long to see more, so that we cry out, open the eyes of my heart, so that we pray with David one thing. Lord, if I could have one thing, it would be to gaze on your beauty for all the days of my life. Make that the goal of our lives, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.